Hello, all. Welcome to the X Millennial Man Podcast, podcast for SeedSing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and I think I warned you guys last week, but if you don't listen in order, I appreciate you listening anyways. Is This is just me today. We're actually doing something a little bit different here in the month of June. A variety of things that we're going to try to fill some time in one way or the other. Ty, like I said, he went on strike for the Writers Guild. I'm kidding. He did not. But we did our erotic video games podcast last week, which is... Uh, it was, it was, uh, I needed a cold shower after that one because you know what Leisure Suit Larry might do to me. But I said, no, I was going to do something solo this week and then we're going to be off. And then the French Open, the tennis tournament's going on right now. We're going to have Tina doing that. And then when Ty comes back, we got some pretty big things coming up. Plus, I'm putting together this Satanism, this uh, 1980 Satanic Panic podcast, which if anybody's following the news now today, I could probably just record regular old Fox News right now and we would have all the sound bites we need and you guys would not have to listen to the Oprah of 1980s or Phil Donahue or Sally Jesse Raphael. But I know you guys like that. But let's get to the topic at hand today. If you didn't read the title, I am going to wage a fight against AI, against artificial intelligence. Now, I've mentioned this on the podcast recently that I've used ChatGPT. Uh, very quickly, for those of you that don't know, ChatGPT is a program that, and I know I'm getting a lot of this wrong, so I'm sorry. But it's a program, basically, it's a it's an artificial intelligence that you can type things into it and it will spit it back. And I, I'm going, I'm going to tell you some of the things I've typed into it and what it spit back to me. And where ChatGPT, there's a lot of different programs, but this is the one a lot of people have talked about, kind of one of the bigger ones. Where I first came to hear about it was I got a, a message from my son's school about students using ChatGPT and saying things like, give me, they just, you go to the program, you literally type in ChatGPT, you'll find the program. I think the website's called OpenAI. I know on iOS, I'd assume Android too, there's an app now for it. It's actually fairly new. But ChatGPT is uh, a lot of different ways I've described this, but it's basically like a super Google that can sound like a normal human being, that it's talking to you, that's telling you, you ask it a question and it answers you. Again, I heard about this from my son's school and I, I know it's been around a little while, but I heard about it and they were like, oh, students are using this to write papers. They're saying, give me 500 words on why George Washington was a great president or whatever. And they're literally turning in what ChatGPT. Now, if you are part of the millennial generation, you probably remember this as uh, people copying Wikipedia pages. And that's what everybody was like, oh, my God, academics are going downhill because they're just copying Wikipedia pages. And then before that, when I was in college, it was very basic copying. Quick little side story. I remember there was a a person who was running to be president of Russia in the 1990s named Vladimir Zhirinovsky. He's basically what Putin is today. He was this Russian nationalist, wanted to bring back the Soviet Union, all this stuff. And at the time when I was doing this, this paper on him, the only American publication that had ever done an interview with him was Playboy magazine. So I had to cite Playboy magazine a lot of what I did, but uh, people were like, oh, you're just going to copy the Playboy article. I didn't. And again, I only read it for the articles. I didn't have it for the pictures. But anyways, neither here nor there. There's always this thing of people copying from another source material. Now ChatGPT is the latest, the latest uh, boogeyman or boogeyman, so to say, that is going to have that's going to have this issue. And it's become a thing, though, because 
I mentioned the writer's strike, and I've talked a lot about the writer's strike, that there's this idea of, well, you can just use ChatGPT to write movie or television scripts or anything like that, and the writers don't need as much money. And the strike, this isn't about the writer's strike, but the strike is for a lot of reasons, one of which is artificial intelligence maybe having to to replace them. It's not, not in this form, as a matter of fact, and I'm going to get to that in a moment here. So there's a lot of people talking about the negatives with AI, the negatives with something like a chat GPT. And when I get in the second half, I'm going to talk about things beyond writing. I'll talk about art and just the most ridiculous trend going on right now and how people on both sides, I think, uh, yeah, I said the word both sides, need to just chill the freak out on this. I got interested, I think, as I end along about the way I'm trying to think about when I say that what could chat GPT do for me? So let me talk about myself I've spent a long time essentially in political communications, helping people politically manipulate the media in a way that's favorable to them. An example I'll use, I'll give a little bit out there. I spent in the early part of the 21st century here, I worked with a lot of gun violence prevention groups. That's what we called it, gun violence prevention. You might call it anti-gun groups. We were opposed to guns. That's what people would say. But I remember, I very specifically said gun violence prevention. Because when I say a gun violence prevention compared to anti-gun, the first one sounds like, oh, hey, maybe I can talk to these people. They're reasonable. Now, with everything that's going on, and fine, you can be pro-gun all you want. I don't care. But when children are being murdered and stuff like that, it, it, anti-gun doesn't sound as bad as it used to, you would think. But here we are. So at the time, I would help them find ways to to make their image look reasonable, make it sound like common sense, not make it sound reactionary, which is what a lot of the quote-unquote anti-gun groups were seen as at the time. And so I've always been interested in the tools afforded to me in order to, to uh, form public opinion or to reform public opinion, as it may say, to take something that, doesn't, that people are not as happy about and then reform it. Later in my career, I did some work uh, surrounding embryonic stem cell research. Now, embryonic stem cells, these are, this is something we would get from like basically frozen embryos from uh, people who are going through fertility treatments. They usually have multiple samples available that they, they put into the, to the mother and see what works. And if it works right away, you have all, the, all these other samples left over and th they always get thrown away. But we found a lot of promise, I believe it was the late 1990s, with embryonic stem cells that we could use them. If we could harvest those from the samples they were throwing away, we'd be able to model diseases, create new drugs. And having said that, again, we're talking about technology now that's maybe 25 years old. We've been able to do a lot. But the term embryonic stem cell has some issues with it. And a lot of people surrounded by the right-to-life issue did not want us using them. Famously, President George Bush I put a freeze on it, and then Obama lifted a little bit, and then Trump probably trumped it or something, and Biden is Bidening it, whatever. But we're not where we should be. But I did some work for a while trying to convince people that it's not what you think. I'm trying to take trash and turn it into treasure. And that's what I mean. That's exactly – that's a line I use, turn trash into treasure that you manipulate the narrative and how it works. And in my time in this field, I've seen the rise of the smartphone, I've seen the rise of social media, I've seen things like Twitter, and now ChatGPT. 
And so ChatGPT is part of my industry. It's something I need to look at. It's something that I need to see. Is it is it going to be of value? What I particularly mean by value is can it replicate what I do? When I go back to saying things like not anti-gun, gun violence prevention, not embryonic stem cells, turning trash into treasure. Is ChatGPT going to be able to do this? And I think in my little experiment today, as I fight the artificial intelligence, fight the AI, as I am the John Connor of the podcasting world for you this uh, morning, afternoon, or evening, or whenever you will be listening, is this something I need to worry about? As I sit in my career right now, if you read through all the legal stuff with the podcast, you'll see it says produced by Public Forum Productions. And Public Forum Productions is a podcast network, a company that I have actually founded that I'm pulling together some of the podcasts, including The Ex-Millennial Man, and bringing some new ones in there, kind of you know, what I call podcast for people by people. Again, I'm a, a dude that changes words around a lot. But it, it's basically a way to do this kind of micro-podcasting idea. And as I go through, we were we've able to secure some funding pull it together to get the company running, to get these podcasts. I have, I mean, not, it's not a sales pitch or anything, but I have very good equipment, very nice things to work with, that as we put all this forward and we continue to get investors, one of the things is is about paying people. And myself, I do a lot of the, the heavy pre- and uh, production of a podcast. I help create the podcast. I help write them. But I also then do the editing. I do the recording, the editing, the distribution. So got to pay myself. And then I look at other people. And one of the people I looked at paying was somebody that was going to be a writer. And I was in a meeting and somebody had told me, one of the investors had told me, why not just use ChatGPT to write your podcast? Now, and I know there's some people listening to this. I have some friends in the Writers Guild. And I remember one of the first things I did is I said, okay, let me see if this is going to work. And one of the shows I produce, I have an ad for it in between the for the break here, is High Heels in Politics. A little bit about High Heels in Politics. It is hosted by a woman who is 88 years old now. She's done it a few years. She is a Don Corleone of politics here in the state of Ohio. She knows everybody, and everybody owes her something. So she can get them. We've had the governor of the state on. We've had senators on. We've had uh, members of the House of Representatives. We've had Anybody who's anybody in this region, we've had, as a matter of fact, we just did a series with former Olympian who was the face of Chapstick in all of the 1970s, Susie, Susie Chaffee, people a little bit older than me might know her as Susie Chapstick. But a lot of what High Heels in Politics does, though, is like local politicians will do Cincinnati City Council members or mayors of communities around here. And one of them we did was a state senator. It was actually the second thing I ever typed into chat GPT was... Give me five questions for Ohio State Senator Bill Blessing. And I'm going to tell you, it popped up. Five questions. But here's where my fight with AI begins and where they're not doing well, okay? Ohio is, is a red state. Ohio went heavily for Trump for two straight elections. And a lot of Republicans, Ohio, like many states, is very gerrymandered. And so a lot of these Republicans tend to not be your quote-unquote fiscal conservatives that you can deal with. They tend to be a little bit more right-wing, 
So the questions, actually it was three questions I asked it, that it popped out to me is, what are your top priorities for Ohio and how do you plan to achieve them through legislative action? Great question. Very nice, simple question. I think a AI or whatever from 20 years ago could have come up with that. The next question, what is your stance on the current state of education in Ohio and what measures do you think should be taken to improve it? Now, this is important because this particular state senator did or does sit on the education committee. So, yes. Then the third question, with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, how do you believe Ohio can best support its residents, businesses, and healthcare workers during this challenging time? Here's where ChatGPT, here's where AI failed. This senator does not believe COVID-19 is an ongoing pandemic. And I'm not trying to pass judgment on them one way or the other, but it's just true. So that question is completely invalid, and I had to throw that question out. The next thing I did is I wrote, give me five questions for a Republican Ohio State Senator from Cincinnati. Now, it's, and I said in there, I didn't say his name, I didn't say any of that stuff. I said five questions for a Republican Ohio State Senator. And it gave me, what do you think the top issues facing Ohio today? How do you propose to address them? How do you uh, propose to promote economic growth? Had something on the opioid epidemic. What's your stance on gun control legislation? Again, you would never, ever ask a Republican about gun control legislation. You would ask them about, like, gun regulations or something like that. And it even says here, too, how would you balance a Second Amendment with public safety concerns? And then the fifth question. <laughs> and this is where ChatGPT has, uh, they're not in the gifted class, okay? There have been efforts to restrict access to abortion in Ohio and across the country. What is your position on reproductive rights and access to health care? Okay, I can tell you as a podcast producer, number one, the host is not going to ask that question, no matter how he or she personally feels. But number two, you are not going to ask an Ohio Republican that question. But I decided to go further because everybody kept telling me I can, I had investors tell me I can replace writers, researchers with AI and what I can, without paying somebody, I can go to this program, type in a question and get what I want in seconds. So I said, give me five questions for Republican state Senator Bill Blessing. I didn't say Ohio. Didn't say Cincinnati area. I didn't say any of that. I just said Republican state senator Bill Blessing. So it went through and it's, it, it has, like as chairman of the Ohio Senate, da, 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 what are your priorities? Ohio has a large agriculture. Then it asked another COVID question. And then it talked about workplace development. And then it asked about gun control again. And it even says, the fifth question here reads, the issue of gun control continues to be a divisive topic in Ohio and across the country. What steps do you believe the state should take to ensure the safety of Ohioans while also protecting Second Amendment rights? That is a Chuck Todd dumbass question that he's just going to skip over when he gets no answer. There's no thought. There's no experience. I've lived in Ohio now since 2006. I've worked in politics in here since then. There's no concept of what can actually be asked and answered. There's no nuance inside of there. If you guys are asking me, the very first thing I ever typed into this is, what is Billy Madison's occupation? 
and it it was uh, it wasn't anything great. My point is, so I, I looked at using this, and we've used it somewhat. We've used ChatGPT in looking at these basic questions because out of the five, or out of the, I'm sorry, like 15 questions I got there, I got about six or seven out of there. I thought, okay, maybe this could work. And then recently, I talked about this that I was on an episode of Joe on Joe, and we talked about how I learned as a kid the grown how to have a functioning grown up relationship by how Flint and Lady J reacted with each other. You guys, go listen to Joe and Joe. You want a more nuanced conversation about that. But I think it was either before or after I had ChatGPT, and this is what I typed in. Why do Flint and Lady J work as a couple? Very, very simple. And so ChatGPT said, Flint and Lady J are fictional characters from an animated television series comic book, G.I. Joe. In the G.I. Joe franchise, Flint and Lady J are portrayed as highly skilled operatives who work closely together as members of the team. Over time, their working relationship develops into a romantic one as they come to trust and rely on each other both in and out of their situations. Some of the reasons why they may work, shared experiences. They've been in many dangerous, challenging missions together. Complementary personalities. Flint is portrayed as pragmatic and no-nonsense leader, while Lady J is more diplomatic and strategic thinker. Really? Mutual respect. Flint and Lady J have a deep respect for each other's skills and abilities. Now, look, I could have probably put in any two fictional characters that have a functional relationship, and that's what it's going to spit out to me. When I think to myself, how do Flint and Lady J have a good relationship? They have a good relationship because in the episode where Flint thinks Lady J likes some other dude, he's going to go, like, confront him. And at the end, he's like, oh, dude, Flint, you're a lucky guy. And Lady J's like, do you have something to say? He's like, no, because Flint realized he was a dumbass. Okay? And that's what I learned as a kid. And that's what ChatGPT should say. In this episode of this cartoon, at this date, Flint realized he was a dumbass. That's why I think and why, and you go listen to that show on Joe, that's why we believe it's a functional relationship. Now, I also at a time did a, a Ty and I did a thing on toxic masculinity. So at the time I went through ChatGPT and I wrote, what is toxic masculinity? It did this in seconds. Toxic masculinity refers to a set of cultural norms. It's basically giving me the Wikipedia version. And I'm like, what is an incel? And again, it gives me the basic Wikipedia version. And again, I'm asking it it's very, these very basic questions. I'm not asking it to think. So it's going to regurgitate this stuff. But I'm like, yeah, there's got to be something that that means more to me. Now, I will say I even at one point was like, I said, write me a letter asking people to advertise on my podcast. And I took that letter. It's something I could have found on any, just Googled it. I could have found it. That's why I say ChatGPT is like a Google thing. So I'm like, let's let's do something that matters. Let's really put it to the test for how I would use it. Because everybody seems to think this is going to replace Hollywood screenwriting. How is this going to do this? All right. I do want to say before that, I got into a little fight with um, ChatGPT and that I asked it, why is 1983 the worst year for movies? And it's like, it's not a bad year for movies. It has this movie and this movie and this movie. And it's like, oh, I don't know about that. So I had to keep asking a question just to get a list of like what they thought bad movies were when Ty and I did our did our worst of 1980 or why why 1983 is bad. This is where I decided to go. And this is going to get a little deep for some of you, okay? I decided to put it to the test. And I said, write me an introduction to a G.I. Joe movie inspired by the comics written by Larry Hama. And so this is the, its pitch. This is artificial intelligence's pitch on a G.I. Joe movie that I think us fans that are of a certain age are looking for. And this is what it said. 
In the world of G.I. Joe, danger lurks around every corner, and the fate of the world often hangs in the balance. Inspired by the iconic comics written by Larry Hama, this new G.I. Joe movie promises to bring audience an adrenaline-fueled, action-packed adventure like never before. Led by the legendary Duke, the elite team of G.I. Joe soldiers must band together to stop the evil forces of Cobra, a ruthless organization determined to rule the world, with cutting-edge technology and combat skills honed to perfection. So here's my first issue. I specifically said, inspired by the comics written by Larry Hama. In the original Marvel run, Duke barely registers. Hawk is the leader of that team. This wrote me a generic action movie thing by putting in who it thought based on because Duke was a popular figure. Duke was popular in the cartoons. But I told it specifically, written by Larry Hama. And this is what it gave me. After I did that, I said, write me an introductory introduction scene for a G.I. Joe movie where Scarlet, Stalker, and Snake Eyes chase a group of Cobra soldiers through the streets of San Francisco. Now, I'm not going to read all this stuff, but for those of you in the know, which is probably like 10 of you, there is a famous early in the Marvel run, a uh, famous, I, God, it was in like the teens or whatever, but issue of the comic where, and I don't think it was Stalker, I, it, it, I'm kind of just goofing around on my free time and writing my own G.I. Joe movie. And so these are the characters I use. And during the course of this entire thing, they gave Snake Eyes lines. They gave lines where Snake Eyes talks. And for those of you in the know, he's mute. I know this isn't earth-shattering to a lot of you people out there, but when I did that experiment, now I did it again later on, and it, it did, I remember it said something like Snake Eyes, a silent, mysterious ninja warrior droids, or, uh, uh, joins the dispute and leaps over and all this stuff. So it's like, did it learn? Maybe it did learn. Maybe it heard me complain to my wife about it because she cares so much about this stuff. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. But it, was, it went through again, and it has this idea. This is, this is how I'm going to end the first half. Is I, I've talked a lot about my love for G.I. Joe. It's a big part of my life. It's a big part of me growing up. I still, I'm looking at my desk at my variety of just weapons laying down that I have to go put into my retro figures hands and stuff like that. I, it was one of those situations where I love the toys. I love the comic book. I love the cartoon. I, it's something I revisit regularly today. I listen to Joe on Joe every week. There's other GI Joe podcasts I check in on and stuff like that. But I'm not the only fan like this. And there were the, there's been the three live action movies, the two with Channing Tatum and Dwayne Johnson, and then the recent Snake Eyes one. And I've made my thoughts clear that these were not written for the fans. You know, my son doesn't care about G.I. Joe. I care about those old cartoons. I care about those, the Marvel run of those Larry Hama comics. If Chad GPT thinks they're going to finally crack the code and make the G.I. Joe movie that the fans like I are going to love, they're not going to get that script from ChatGPT. They're not. Because they don't know the characters. I know the characters. And it doesn't seem like this should be the thing that broke the camel's back, but it is. ChatGPT, this might not be the biggest IP, and you may be able to sit down and ask it to write you a, a Marvel movie, and it may do a damn good job. And there's some Marvel movies that really suck. But you know the last Marvel movie that I, I saw, the last one that came out in the theater, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I still think about it. I'm going to do this podcast with Ty one day about songs that you just immediately think of a scene in a movie. 
And Guardians of the Galaxy has one of those moments. And it's a song that I hear now, and I just, I'm not going to give any spoilers because the movie's still in the theaters. You should go see it. It's a fabulous film. Because James Gunn made some choices in there that were different. And outside of that one song, that one scene that I'm thinking of, the very, very last scene of that entire movie, after all the credits and stuff, it's not vital to any plot. It's not vital to any future Marvel films or anything like that. But it's like, I mean, I'm not the biggest Chris Pratt fan as a human being, but man, is he so good in that role. And it's like two and a half minutes of just master. It's just masterful. And it's so good. And it would never be written by something like this. Because it's written by a person who understood the property, who understood these characters, who understood his actors, who understood it all. Because in order to create art, you have to have humanity. And while you can scrape the internet for everything out there, you obviously can't scrape the internet to know one of the most famous characters of G.I. Joe can't say a damn word. Hello all, this is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, guys, let's talk about visual art. Now, I'm going to start with, I thought of this topic before I even saw this stupid stuff, and maybe I'm late to the game, but just the last few days you're seeing this is, I think Adobe or somebody like that, they have something that people are like, have you ever wondered what's outside the rest of the painting? And and the Mona Lisa is a big one. Everybody's like, this is what's outside the rest of the Mona Lisa. And number one, I've never asked that question. Maybe I'm a crazy person. Maybe you or maybe everybody else has asked that question. Like, what's everything else look like outside the Mona Lisa? I, one of the dumbest ones I saw is, oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of the painting, but the one with Aphrodite or Venus, whatever, on the clamshell. And they're like, what's outside? And there's uh, the AI program painted out. And they're like, it's weird because she's like staying on the peninsula. I didn't think there's water in front of her, but there is. There was never water in front of her, idiot, okay? That's not how it was painted. All right. So, and, and far and away, because these people, 
these, I mean, call them the AI humpers or stuff like that, that tell you, oh, AI's the way, it's everything. One of them did this, like, the, the creation of man, the very famous one of old man-looking God touching fingers with Adam, and they're like, what's outside the rest of the picture? The problem is that picture is painted on top of the Sistine Chapel, so we've known for hundreds of years what, what's outside the rest of the picture. So all that stuff, dumb, silly. I find it just incredibly beyond useless. Like, if you think this is what's going to build the Terminators, telling me what's outside the rest of the Mona Lisa picture, I feel pretty good about myself right now. I feel like I can close those pod pod bay doors on my own. I'm going to be A-OK. But some people like them. And some people are like, isn't this the coolest thing? Now, yes, most of those are the AI humpers, but I've seen other people go, oh, that's kind of interesting, and that's OK. Because if that's something they're curious about and this is something AI can give them, fine. Maybe they'll appreciate the Mona Lisa more or the Sistine Chapel. Maybe they'll learn that that little part of the Sistine Chapel is part of a much, much bigger thing. And I remember, I think it was on Defector, somebody talking about how it's the imperfections in these human-created works that we appreciate. It's like seeing something carved and seeing like an errant line. You know that was created by someone that someone had actually sat there and carved that out, or you look at things like Michelangelo's David. I know you can't look at it in Florida, but still. And you think to yourself that some person did this, or you look at these paintings, you look at the Mona Lisa, you look at the Sistine Chapel, you can see the paint flaking or stuff like that, and it gives you a sense of awe in the fact that somebody, some way, did that they took a brush they took a they took a chisel they took something and they created that and that's what you do you stand i go to an art museum and i stand in the presence of something that was created by another human being maybe a hundred years ago and they understood how the light moved and all this other stuff now i also at the same time yeah I, i look around just where i'm recording today and i have some the, talk about G.I. Joe, because that's what I'm going to talk about, people. I've got some of these Marvel comics of G.I. Joe, and they're all made by different artists, and they all have different uh, these covers, but they're still made by people. But then I think on the other side of it, as the podcast logo for this podcast, I took a picture of something that somebody else made. I took a picture of a sculpture when I was on a trip up in Toronto, and that's what I used as the image. When I think of the image for the logo for public forum productions or the logo for high heels and politics, I took publicly available images and I put things together and I created something else. I didn't create the image itself. I created the entire picture from other images, from stock images or things that other people had drawn and stuff like that. But I pulled it together. I was the AI that pulled all of that together. And then that brings me to some of these AI art generators. Now, there's uh, some of the big ones, and I've used them. Dolly, I think it's there on Dolly 2 now, Dream Studio. I use Bain Image Creator a lot. And I'll go to them, and I had uh, one of my podcasts was called Backyard Politics. And I was like, how do I want to portray this? So I thought to myself, let's have like a cookout with the, a Capitol building in the background. And it produced this image, and that's what I typed in. Give me the image of a cookout with the U.S. Capitol building in the background. It gave me this image of people at a cookout with a huge U.S. Capitol in the background. Now, I could have gone to 
something like Canva, which I know also does AI art and stuff like that. Or I could have gone to Adobe, which again, Photoshop or anything like that, I could have pulled these together myself, but it was just faster. Except it looks like a nightmare because the faces look like absolutely distorted nightmare, beyond nightmare images. That's what AI art is right now. I know John Stewart recently did an episode, or maybe it was last season, he did an episode about it. And it's all these, like, it was the one where he married a cabbage at the end. It's like, John Stewart with a cabbage, and John Stewart's a known person, so they put him in there. But still, there's something weird about their faces. This idea that, oh, look, we can show you what's beyond the Mona Lisa, but they can't show you the Mona Lisa. <laughs> okay, If it did, it would be some weird, distorted, strange face thing. And going back to that logo for Backyard Politics, I sent it to the person that's going to be hosting the show, and they're like, I hate it. It's too busy. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) so we go back to step one. It just did not work. It's not, I've never seen, I've never seen in this AI art that works for me. But then you have this thing. Now, I'm going to be fully honest here. I had no idea, all right? But somebody had sent me or I saw on Twitter or something like that, a Star Wars movie, a trailer for a Star Wars movie as directed by Wes Anderson. Now, Wes Anderson has that Asteroid City movie coming out soon, and it's got a, a great little promo for it. Uh, Ty and I have talked about Wes Anderson a lot on this podcast. Rushmore is a top 10 film for me. It's I, I love it. I, I like Wes Anderson. There's some of his movies. I, I haven't watched as much, but The Royal Tenenbaums, I still think, may be the best movie. That or Fury Road are probably the best movies of the 21st century. But anyways, they showed this thing. Now, I remember watching it thinking something's off about this but it was like let's take every star wars character make it look quirky frame it all in the center have them slightly tilt their heads but at a moment it said like owen wilson as darth vader and you hear kind of in that darth vader mechanical voice but you hear like owen wilson go hmm and i was like oh that's funny and i was like oh whoever made that is interesting it's something weird it looks weird there's something uncanny about it I keep thinking of Scarlett Johansson as Princess Leia. But I was like, oh, you know, that's interesting for that person to do. It was a nice little project. And then I found out it was all AI generated. And I'm going to not lie to you. It made me think, okay, that's kind of trash. Because this is what it did. When I thought somebody made it on their own, I thought they watched some Wes Anderson movies. They thought this would be cool. This would be interesting. I'm going to do it. But, you know, they're not Wes Anderson. But then when I thought a machine just put this together, and I know I'm losing some of you here because you're like, Wes Anderson, really, Cub? Okay. But yeah. But what the machine did is they took the basics, the pure, utter basics, the what a second grader would understand about a movie like The Royal Tenenbaums. And that's what they gave to you. It wasn't a person trying to do an homage and not being up to snuff. It was a machine just doing the basics. Again, no humanity. No, nothing that represents creativity in it. And I know there's been a couple of other ones out there, and there was some like Great Gatsby type one where the people's faces just turned into nightmares, or there's like a LeBron James or Will Smith or something like eating spaghetti. I mean, there's just these things, these images that turn, they, they look like, you know what they look like? They look like Aphex Twin videos is what they look like. And the people that made those videos, they made those. AI didn't make those. You know, AI is just copying them now. But it was, again, I, I, maybe it's not fair, 
but I was. It was like it it wasn't creative. It wasn't an homage. It wasn't somebody with less talent trying to honor somebody with more talent. It was a machine giving you its most basic form possible. If Wes Anderson did a Star Wars movie, it would kick ass. And it would maybe look a little bit like whatever this trailer did. But a lot of it would be what Wes Anderson does and it would look better. And it would be why people like Wes Anderson. Because it's not just stripped of his basic quirks. It's like if every J.J. Abrams movie was just lens flares. I know some of you are going to tell me they are. But if that's what you told me, J.J. Abrams making a Jane Austen novel and you just had a whole bunch of lens flares in there, I'd be like, oh, okay, funny joke. Then you move on because that's what it is. It's just, it's just the basics. If you're going to do J.J. Abrams doing Jane Austen, have like uh, Mr. Darcy find out that he's Palpatine's grandson or something, and then I'll be like, okay, that's stupid. You know, that, that's what AI should really be doing. That would be creative in my eyes. But it's to kind of put a bow on this whole thing, to kind of wrap it up, you know what I have found from AI? It's a machine. It is basic. A lot of people would complain about Chuck Lorre. He did Two and a Half Men and I, I think uh, Big Bang Theory and all that other stuff and everything. And here's, here's the coolest thing about Chuck Lorre ever. The guy wrote and I think he performed the theme to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Everybody's like, oh, it's all basically the same. It's all the same things. But it's still Chuck Lorre style. Or Dick Wolf and Law and & Order and his Chicago Law and & Order and Topeka Law and & Order and – Baldwin, Missouri, Law and Order, or whatever it is, but it's still Dick Wolf style. It's still him working with his actors. It's still him putting those out there. Yes, they may be basic. Even there's an early South Park episode about how they wrote Family Guy, and it was these dolphins in the in the pool with different balls and these just non sequiturs and things like that. And, and it was a funny to me. It's like, oh yeah, that's what they're doing. That's what basically they're doing. But they're not. Seth MacFarlane had a style to what he was doing. Matt Groening had a style. You know, The Simpsons and Futurama, very different shows, but have some very similar things. There's even the point where they crossed over and they're like, Bender is just basically Homer. (laughs) But still, Futurama was still written by people who maybe were trying to do things different. How much I love The Simpsons. And when, when Bleeding Gums Murphy dies and Lisa does that thing, that's a great episode. But it doesn't even compare to the emotional gut punch you get with Fry's dog. It's not even close. It's not even the same neighborhood with Fry's nephew, the first man on Mars. Because, again, these are made by people with experiences. I think during the, uh, during the writer's strike here, somebody was like, ChatGPT doesn't have childhood trauma. It's true. It doesn't. It can't. It's it, the, these AI machines, even you go all the way far back to, to the dawn of what we call drama or comedy, the poetics, the ancient Greeks. You know, take a play like Lysistrata. You know, women won't have sex with their men until they stop having war. And yes, that's like a 3,000-year-old play, people, or something like that, a 2,500-year-old play. This was based on reality, things people had seen, things people had felt, and it had this emotion behind it. But really when it comes down to it, for me personally, with all that stuff, like I said, I played with the AI art generators, but I'm going to bring it back to ChatGPT. 
And I thought about the things that Ty and I have been doing. Where I asked it. Let's really push ChatGPT here. Now, the first thing I did was something just really stupid. I said, write me an opening scene to a direct sequel to the movie Casablanca. And any writer out there, any person who loves the movie Casablanca would weep to read what it gave me. Because it was basically like Rick sitting at the bar, but more grizzled. And Elsa coming in and saying, Victor's disappeared. And Rick's like, he's got a look of love in his eye that he still loves her. But he's like, I'll do anything for you, Elsa. And then they go off on their next adventure. I mean, holy crap, is that about as stupid as possibly can be. But again, I want to bring it back to what it means to me, to humanity, to finding the gems of art that are in our community, to not looking beyond the Mona Lisa, but looking into her eyes, looking into that smile. So this was my greatest test against ChatGPT. This was my final battle. I wrote, what is the greatest movie to feature a Cleveland Browns player? And it told me, one of the greatest movies to feature a Cleveland Browns player is Any Given Sunday, directed by Oliver Stone. The film stars Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Jamie Foxx, and features former Cleveland Browns player Jim Brown in a significant role. Okay. Regardless of all that stuff, that's not James Brown's greatest movie, and Any Given Sunday sucks. I know some people probably, including Ty, likes it, but I'm like, oh, crap. No, okay. Let me ask a different question. What is the greatest movie to feature Mike Golick? And I said, as my knowledge of cutoff in September 2021, Mike Golick, the former NFL player and sports broadcaster, has not had a prominent role in any major movies. Well, he's made appearances in some TV. He's how it goes on and on. But basically, I realized... I meant Bob Golick. <laughs> I asked for Mike Golick. I meant Bob Golick. So I was like, okay, was the greatest movie featuring Bob Golick? It says here, Bob Golick, the former NFL player and actor, has appeared in several movies throughout his career. While he hasn't had a leading role in the major blockbuster film, he's made no notable appearances in such movies as A Dog Who Saved Christmas and its sequels. He was also a supporting player in the film Cheaper by the Dozen, too. And so I'm like, okay. It's not understanding this, all right? I'm talking about one of the greatest films, something Ty and I have discovered, one of the artistry. This is pure human artistry. This is the carving where things gone wrong. This is the painting where one color was was a little off. So I told ChatGPT, or as I asked it, is Masters of the Gridiron great or what? And I had a feeling it was come back to me saying the Cleveland Browns masterpiece, Masters of the Great Iron, is truly one of the greatest films ever made, including its incredible fight with the Robert Stanley Band or whatever. Sorry, I didn't look it up. But no, this is what ChatGPT told me, and this is when I knew the machines had lost and humanity prevails. I'm sorry, but as of my knowledge cut off in September 2021, I couldn't find any information about a movie called Masters of the Gridiron. It's possible that it's a lesser-known or independent film that was released after my knowledge cut off, or it may not be widely recognized. If Masters of the Gridiron is a more recent or niche production, I apologize for not being able to provide specific information or an opinion on its greatness. City of Cleveland, it's time for you to take down ChatGPT. It just dissed one of the greatest movies of your area ever. So that's it. That's my war with ChatGPT. That's my war with AI. I don't want any everything to look like an Apex Twin video, and I sure as hell don't want everything to sound like it doesn't know what the hell Masters of the Gridiron is. Pay your writers. Appreciate your artists. Understand 
at the end of the day, the guys like us <laughs> who still hold a candle for G.I. Joe just want to know that the creators respect the property. We just want to know that there are people out there who have a passion and who have talent, who have the skill, because it is a skill, to write our entertainment, to create our art, to make our movies. AI is not there yet. And my final judgment, it will never be there. Never. It's never going to understand this. It's never going to see those little mistakes and understand them as mistakes. It's never going to just say, here's generic action movie, just plug in your characters. It's never, well, it is going to do that last one, but it's never going to respect what came before it. It's going to strip what it sees. It's going to mimic its initial impulses. But it's never going to give you that emotional payoff. It's never going to give you that moment where you hear the song and you think of the smile on Nebula's face. And only those that have seen it are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. People give that. Our creative souls give that. And that's why at the end of the day, the writers are right, the actors are right, the directors are right. It's people that matter. And the machines will never be able to replicate us as people. Hell, I talked about the machines replicating sex last week. So you think I'm going to believe they can replicate joy? Replicate connection? That's what I got. That's, that's, my, that's my beef with AI. That's my fight. And that's why I'm the winner. And in the end, humanity's won. And that's why I'm your old John Connor. So like I said, well, we're going to be off next week. And then the week after, we're going to be back with the, with the French Open. And it's already, I can tell you right now, there's already a lot to talk about. So it's going to be quite exciting. And yes, with all that being said, coming from a person, coming from somebody who did not let ChatGPT write this, did not do any of the artwork from, from Bing or Dolly or any of that other stuff, from a, from a person, from somebody just trying to create. Thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, remember we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And uh, go out, enjoy, go look at that painting, and don't think what's beyond the frame. Find that imperfection and appreciate the fact that it was hard to find. So we'll talk to you guys next time. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.